Hey everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the Weird Tales Podcast. My name is Tycho Alhambra. Thank you for listening. If this is your first episode, welcome. We're happy to have you regardless of your race, sexual orientation, or gender identity. The Weird Tales Podcast stands in solidarity with you all. We believe that trans rights are human rights, that abortion is health care, and that black lives matter. Transcripts of the show are available. The link to those and to various institutions fighting for reproductive justice can all be found in the show notes. This episode is one I've been thinking about doing for a long time. Not the story. I haven't been thinking about doing the story for a long time, just... This episode is... It's kind of a big step for me, but for reasons I don't want to go into. Suffice it to say, it's me putting on my big boy pants and stepping out into the wide world. The Old Boy When a parent dies, feelings can get hard to process. A lot of the time, there's sadness and grief. A much-loved parent, friend, confidant being taken out of your life would wreck anyone. Sometimes there's relief. If your mother is suffering because of an incurable condition and she finally succumbs, you know she's not feeling the pain anymore. There's still sadness, but relief as well. Sometimes there's savage joy. If you are the type of person who feels joy at someone's death, regardless of who they were, you are to be pitied. In extreme cases, you are to be shunned. When my mother died, it was a shock. She was still fairly young, only in her mid-sixties, had all of her faculties, was in good health, lived a holy and conservative life. I thought it was a holier-than-thou and obnoxious life myself, but you go along to get along, and while my mother and I didn't see eye-to-eye on a lot of stuff, she was my mom, and I loved her, and I called her dutifully once a month and sent her cards on her birthday and cards and flowers on Mother's Day and cards and gifts on Christmas. When she died, I felt some grief, yes. Did I feel a little bit of relief? Yeah, I think so. I would never hear her voice again, but then I'd never hear her spouting religious propaganda again and telling me how I should have done better in life, blah, 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 yackety-smackety. And that was comforting. I didn't feel any joy over her passing. But if I'm honest, once the shock had worn off and she was buried and a respectful number of days had passed, there was the reading of the will And this is where the primary overriding emotional reaction to my mother's death came to the fore. My sister and I got to divvy up all her stuff. Dad wouldn't get any of it. He'd been out of the picture since before I was ten, run off with a pretty little waitress from the bar he always went to, Mom told me. I'd been a teenager then and wanted to know what had happened. She got a letter from him occasionally, usually with a check in it to help cover expenses, His way of making it up to her, maybe, though how you make up a thing like that with mere money is beyond me, but maybe it solved his guilty conscience. He was long gone, and none of us expected to see him again. We split it all 50-50, sold most of it, kept a few things. Mementos from childhood that she had kept for God knows why. Paintings her father had done that we had always liked. The weird, creepy troll statue that used to scare me as a child. It sits on the bookshelf near my writing desk. I can look right at it as I type this. I got one other thing, one last bequest. It came as a surprise because it involved a secret my mother had been keeping, one that I had absolutely no knowledge of and neither had my sister. When the lawyer read that part of the will, 
We both looked at each other and a stunned silence followed. And when I learned what I had to do, the primary overriding emotional reaction to my mother's death reared its head and sunk its teeth as deeply into me as it could reach. Oh, dear Lord, was I annoyed. The lawyer handed over an envelope sealed with a bit of wax. A bit of wax, like we were in Renaissance England and I was Lord High whatever of Fuckalborough. That's pronounced Fuckelberg in case you think I'm being purposely obscene. I was told the letter contained her last request for me and that if I wanted to receive my part of the inheritance, specifically the fiduciary part of the inheritance, I would have to carry it out. Well, I took it, stuck it in my inner jacket pocket, and while I don't think any emotion showed on my face, I definitely, definitely felt intense annoyance at whatever stupid thing I had to do to get it. Probably go to church every week. My mother wanted to bring the wayward sheep back to the flock, and this would be just the crook to get me there, wouldn't it? I resolved silently to myself that if that were the case, and if she wanted me to do something stupid like that, I would tear it up, renounce the inheritance, and let my sister have it. I had a good job. I wasn't hurting for anything. So when I got home, I pulled the letter out of my jacket pocket, tossed it on the table, and went about my day. I had just about forgotten the letter when I got home that night and saw it on the table. The little blob of wax sticking up off the back, some sort of design in the middle. It looked like an octopus. Hail Hydra, I thought, and then slid my fingers underneath and popped off the wax. I pulled out the letter inside. Dear Ryan, if you're reading this, then I have died. And since I am no longer here on the earth, you, as my oldest child, now have a duty you must do. I know much of what I'm going to say will come as a surprise to you, and I know you probably won't believe much of it. You think I'm overly religious and deep-set in my ways, and I know it has often rankled you. It has often rankled me as well that I couldn't tell you the truth, the reason why I was that way. There is a reason to it, a method to the madness, or perhaps a madness to the method. Both are equally fitting. I want to explain this to you, and I hope you will fully understand. At times it will seem unbelievable, but I want you to know it is all completely true. I was about to write, as your mother I've never lied to you, but as you're about to see, that's not true. I've lied to you many times. Lies of omission sometimes, sure, but those are still lies. The time for lying is past. First comes the smiles, then the lies. Last comes gunfire. And the time for lying is past. The time for gunfire is not yet, and honestly, hopefully, it won't come to that. I can't imagine the situation will last much longer, but while it does, you must fulfill the duty I couldn't see through to completion. Before I tell you what that is, though, I need to explain to you why I was the way I was. The religious devotee, let us say, that I presented to you and the rest of the world is the big lie of my life. Yes, I went to church every Sunday. Yes, you would hear me saying prayers. Yes, I read the Bible and sang hymns around the house and tried to raise you up that way too. But it's not because I believed it was for your spiritual good or mine. There were two reasons why I did it. One up top and the other underneath. The up top reason was to put you off the scent of what I truly believed. It was my hope that if I presented an unrelentingly religious face, you wouldn't pry into anything else I might truly believe. 
That's a part of my life I desperately wished you wouldn't have to know about, but here we are. The underneath reason is, and this is hard for a mother to write to her son, I was hoping to push you away. I was hoping that by playing the part of the borderline religious zealot you would grow tired of me, find me obnoxious. You'd leave and not contact me again because I was toxic and bad for you, and you'd want nothing else to do with me. I never thought too much on that because it hurt to do so, and sometimes, in the dark watches of the night, laying in bed after your father had died, I would cry myself to sleep, knowing what I was doing, and wishing there was some other way out. I put the letter down and looked out the window. Wind rustled through the trees, pushing them slightly to the side before they rolled back the other way. Nature's pendulum counting off the seconds and minutes and years. After your father had died. She said he had run off, and now she was saying he died, and... Truths. Truths and lies. Her whole life, almost everything I knew, was a lie, it seemed, and... A lot of this was hard to believe, absolutely, but could I also see it as the truth? Could I look back with my cynical adult's eyes and see the truth of it in the way she acted and the things she did? Yes and no. Like so many things, I could see both sides. I could see the religious woman who sang hymns while she washed dishes and read her Bible instead of an Agatha Christie novel, who wouldn't let me play Dungeons and Dragons because it was a doorway to Satanism. And I could see how all that could be designed to drive me away from her. It was everything a person could do to make another dislike them without resorting to actual physical or psychological abuse. Trees bent to the left, swung back to the right. Bent to the left, swung right. If you had become that way, you wouldn't be reading this now, and this letter would be in your sister's hands. I suppose it's the fate of families. Fathers and daughters have a special bond, and mothers and sons have a special bond. You were always a good boy, sending me cards and flowers. You never forgot an important day, and I know that I had more than likely failed in driving you away, and some day I would have to sit down and write this letter. And if you're reading this, then... We've both made mistakes. One thing I have to tell you about is our family. We have a long history stretching back centuries. I mean, I suppose every family does, otherwise it wouldn't be here. But we have detailed records. We know who was the son of who was the son of who was the son of who all the way back to before the birth of Christ. If we tried, we could probably go further. Somewhere in the house there's a scroll that details it all. Maybe you'll find it when you inevitably go through all my stuff for the estate sale. You can read through it if you like, though none of it is super important, at least to the task ahead of you. Really, all you need to know is that you are, for all intents and purposes, the last of the ancient and noble house of Brandings. And when I say ancient and noble, I mean ancient and noble. The family name stretches back to before the birth of Christ, though where it came from I don't know. Our line has held kings and princes and dukes and earls. We've been paupers and bums. Rich, poor, everything in between. We've risen and fallen as all families must do throughout the long length of years that stretch behind and ahead of us. Unless you have a son, you are the last of the ancient and noble house of Brandings. Now, before you get all twisted up about it, no, your task is not to go out and have a son. That would actually be a fairly terrible thing, all things considered. No, 
I need you to do something completely different. You know that I was an only child growing up, and you've heard the stories about how I always wished I had had a sibling and got to do all the sibling stuff. You've heard me gripe about that enough times you can probably quote it by heart. That was another lie. The truth is, I had a brother. A half-brother. Same father, different mothers. His mother had another child with a different man, a half-brother to him, but not any relation at all to me, and that man, in turn, became my husband, your father. This is rapidly becoming needlessly soap-operatic, but it's all important. Your father died, leaving only his and my half-brother in you. You are the last of the family name, and that is the crux of the matter. You are both the last. My half-brother, your uncle, is still alive. He's not well. I believe he's dying, and I believe he doesn't have long to live. But while he does, he absolutely must be taken care of. I'm sorry to ask this of you, and if it wasn't the most important work you'll ever do, I wouldn't. But it is, so I am. I need you to do one of two things. Travel to Seattle, find your uncle, and keep him alive until he dies of natural causes. Someone has been trying to kill him for the last thirty years, and he's managed to outsmart him every time. This sounds crazy, I know. When your father passed on this work to me as he lay dying, I thought it was crazy too. But then came the night in a fly-specked town in western Idaho and the thing that came out of the woods. I didn't think it was crazy after that. You must protect your uncle. Either keep whatever is trying to kill him from killing him, or if all hope is exhausted and all choices are gone, you must kill him yourself. And that, as dramatic and over-the-top as it sounded, was where the letter ended. There was definitely a lot to process. My mother had basically lied to me my entire life. Everything I thought I knew about her, I didn't, and there was this whole other thing, this side of her life that I didn't know about. Who had my mother been? And who was this guy? Well, as silly and stupid as it sounds, there was really only one way to find out. I contacted the lawyer, asked if my mother had left any other information for me regarding her last request. He told me there was one other envelope which he was to give me if I had agreed to do the task. I confirmed I did, and the next day I went around to his office, signed an affidavit that I agreed to the request, and then he handed over the envelope. I opened it up. My mother's handwriting, as familiar to me as my own, giving me an address and a code word. It was a strange word, almost all consonant, and some that didn't play well together, and an apostrophe in a place where apostrophes don't go. I asked the lawyer if he had heard of it or knew anything about it. He looked it over and shrugged. I took back the paper, headed back home. The next day, I booked my flight. Two days later, I was in Seattle. My rented car was parked in front of the address my mother had given me. I pulled the piece of paper out of my pocket, looked over the word, and sighed. I had tried practicing saying it and couldn't make heads or tails of it. Internet searches didn't bring me anything about it, and I wasn't even sure I was getting the pronunciation right. I took a breath, got out of the car, closed the door, and walked up the three steps to the front door. Knock, knock, knock. There was a long wait, and I was just about to knock again when the door opened, and a tired-looking woman stared at me. Um, hi, I said lamely, 
I'm here because my mother asked me to... What's the word? Oh, uh, yeah, it's, uh... Here we go. Just do your best and hope. Relaya? I gave it a little English, pronouncing it so it sounded like Relaya. And the lady stared at me for a second and then closed her eyes and shook her head. Close enough, she muttered and opened the door for me to enter. The house was clean, and while I expected there to be a smell, there wasn't one. It was antiseptic and sterile. You're Mr. Brandings? She asked without turning around to face me. Yeah, uh, call me Ryan. I'll stick with Mr. Brandings, thanks. Okay, what do you know about the situation? With... Just say the words, they're the truth, even if you didn't know before a week ago. My uncle? You here to take care of any other situations? No, I guess not. Then I guess it's the one with your uncle. Oh, well, my mom just, uh... She put in her will that I needed to watch over him, make, make sure he didn't hurt himself. Wouldn't be for a long while. She thought he was close to death. Didn't hurt himself? That's what she said? You aren't supposed to keep him from being killed? Okay. Clearly, she knew all about everything. I mean, yeah, that was in there too, I said. We crossed over into the kitchen, and she gestured to the table. I sat down. Coffee? She asked. Oh, uh, yes, please. It's over there on the counter. I'm not your housekeeper. Oh, uh, okay. I got up, poured myself a cup. A little bit of cream, two cubes of sugar using the dainty little sugar grabbies, and wow, did that flash me back. My mother used the same things. When I turned back, she was sitting at the table, a lit cigarette hanging from her fingers. So, I ventured, you know about... everything? I've been watching him for eight years, ever since the dementia started really getting a hold. Your mother helped as much as she could, but she had you kids to take care of, so she couldn't be here for long periods of time. It's mostly been me, but now you're here, so I'm going to take me a nice little vacation. You got any questions? Only about a million. You got time for a few. I'm leaving as soon as my ride gets here. What am I expected to do? Feed him? Bathe him? If he says something, just roll with it. Don't try to correct him or get through to him with the truth. It only distresses him. And when he gets distressed, things happen. You ever hear of a poltergeist? Yeah, a mischievous ghost that throws stuff. It's like that, except not. Okay, don't distress him. Can you tell me anything about the guy who's trying to kill him? I can tell you it's not a guy. Girl, then. No. No? Not a human. Not a... What? Not a human. It's a... Shadow. Only it's solid. It has form and substance. Sometimes it has a face. Most times it doesn't. It, it wants to kill him, though God knows why. I sure as hell don't. How do I... Deal with it? Beats the hell out of me. When it shows up, the old man usually does something, says some words or something, and that drives it off. What words? I don't know. They aren't English, though. Did you do anything about it? First time? I screamed and hid in the closet. He explained some stuff to me afterwards, so I'm not sure how much of it I believe. Times after that, I let him take care of it. Sometimes it was just words. Sometimes it was words in this weird powder he'd mix up. I hadn't used that in a while, though, which is good. Stuff was an absolute bitch to clean up. Okay, so... I tried to find words, but nothing would come out. Yeah, she said. So. Her phone buzzed, and she looked down at it. Anyway, my ride's here. Time's up. Two more things, though. You mentioned your mother said he was probably close to death. Yeah. That might be. He's been suffering from dementia for a long while. Most days he has no idea who he is or where he is. 
He might call you James or Henry or some weird names he just makes up sometimes. Whatever he calls you, just roll with it. It'll be easier that way. Pretend you know what's going on. It's all in his head, so just play along and try not to distress him. If any of the weirdness happens, just let him handle it. it. Seems to be the one thing he can do with any consistency. And that's mostly because of the second thing. His dementia comes and goes. When he starts coming out of it, when the fog starts lifting and he doesn't confuse you with Childers or Arthur or Calmers, whoever the hell they are, you know it's close. What's close? That shadow. It'll be there that night, maybe the next. And then he drives it off, and the next day, maybe the day after, he thinks you're Arthur or Calmers or, in my case, that lady whose name I don't remember. So watch for that. Okay, that's it. I'm out. I'll be back in a month if he's still around, and if he's not, then that's that. She stepped out to the main hall, picked up her bag, and stepped out of the door like her hair was on fire and her ass was catching. And that, as she said, was that. I watched her go, then turned back and looked into the house. It was small, and I could hear a vocalization from the back. A wordless string of noise that sounded like yama 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 on a loop. Other than that, silence. The house was still, and only the strange vocalizations from the back of the house to guide me. I was instantly regretting this decision. I followed the noise down a hallway toward the back of the house and poked my head inside a room. An old man was sitting at a desk, his head lowered over a piece of paper that he was scribbling on. He was vocalizing, but not actually speaking. I watched for a second, feeling goosebumps raising up on my arms, and then I spoke. Hello? The noise stopped, and he froze in place. He stayed that way for what seemed like a long time, and then he slowly turned to face me. His eyes were unfocused, but I could tell he was seeing me. His mouth worked soundlessly, and he ran his fingers through his hair with a shaking hand. Yes, he finally managed to say. Arthur, I remember you. We repelled the invasion together. My name isn't Arthur, and I'd never met him before in my life, but pursuant to the nurse's rules, I played along. Um, yeah, that's me. Uh, we really showed them, didn't we? What are you doing here? I, I thought you died in the... the... His voice faltered and he looked down at the ground. I, I can't remember now. It's all so long ago, so far away. It's clouds over Carcosa. He murmured just loud enough for me to make out. Exactly, I said. I remember it like it was yesterday. Do you remember... The hounds? He gave the word a peculiar emphasis. I don't, I said, wondering what a dog would have to do with any of this. Refresh my memory? They came when you and, and Childers and Arthur were trying to reach back into the past. We tried so hard to control the old boy, remember? We thought we could do it by going back to when he was younger, though younger is surely relative. Sure, he would be younger, but... What's a thousand years to the old boy who's at least a billion billion years old? It's nothing. It's insane that we thought we could do anything that way. But we tried, because it was the only way to stop him, and he sent the hounds to punish us. They came for calmers, and they came for childers, and Arthur managed to fight them off, but he would never tell me how. Soon they'll be coming for me, and for you. I nodded, reached forward, felt his head. It was cool, not feverish at all. 
He was clearly living another life, though, seeing some other reality. Maybe a movie he saw when he was younger, or a book he read, or maybe even a dream he was having now, floating through his disintegrating brain and crossing over into his waking world. But we did him bad, didn't we, Childers? We struck him down and drove him back when we realized the truth. You bet, man. We got him good. He collapsed back on his bed and laid there, his head resting against the pillow looking at the wall, lost in thought. Or dreams. Or memory. When he turned back, his eyes were fixed on me again. Childers, do you remember the promise we made? Yes. You haven't let it lapse? No. You haven't passed it on? No. After you, there's no chance for the power. He faltered, seeming to not know how to continue. No, I said carefully, pretty sure it's what he wanted to hear. We're the last, Childers. You and me. Lorena, she might still be alive, but I doubt it. And even if she is, she was the strongest willed of us. She would keep the pact to her death, just as you and I have. Yeah, no doubt, I said. He stared off at the wall and then out the window. Lovely day today. Yes, it is, I said. There followed a few moments of silence, and then the sound of quiet, whispery snores came from him. He had drifted off. I sat in the silent room, listening to his breathing, thinking it sounded maybe a little labored, but then again what the hell did I know, and thinking about that last bit of information he had dropped. It sent a little bit of a chill through me because he had mentioned the name Lorena, a.k.a. my mother. He was out for most of the day. Occasionally I would hear him stir and then some more of those nonsense syllables would come out of his mouth, or he'd let out a plaintive cry, but other than that he was asleep. I watched TV, ordered some pizza. I gave him his food at the prescribed time and his pills before I went to bed. The night passed uneventfully, and as it turned out, it was the only night during my very short time there that I would ever sleep all the way through. I woke the next day, showered, got dressed, poked my head into his room. He was awake, and when he looked up at me, he didn't call me Childers or Arthur or Calmers. The fuck are you? he demanded. Where's Althea? Uh, Althea? The nurse who takes care of me. I've been waiting for my breakfast for hours. Oh, yeah, uh, she's on a, well, vacation, I guess. My name's Ryan. I'm, I'm gonna be taking care of you for the next month or so. Pansy name, he muttered. Sorry, I said, I didn't pick it. Uh, mind if I ask your name? Yes. Then, a silence as we stared at each other. Okay, I said, no problem. So, breakfast. What would you like? Althea usually just throws me some toast and cereal together. Toast and cereal. I can do that. No problem, I said. I can throw that together too. Give me a few minutes. I went into the kitchen, found some bread on the counter, and started toasting a couple of pieces. While that was going, I looked through the cupboards, found a box of generic flake cereal and portable, thought about adding milk, thought about not adding milk, and then decided to split the difference and gave him a glass to go with it. If he wanted to pour it on his cereal, he could do it himself. The bread popped, and I grabbed some butter out of the fridge, buttered it up, sprinkled some cinnamon sugar over it, placed it neatly on a plate, and brought it to him. When I got back into his room, he was sitting on the edge of his bed. 
His skinny old man legs were perched on the wooden railing that held the box spring in place and he was studying the insides of a box with a look of concentration. The box was open and had, each secured in its place, a collection of jars. I couldn't see what was in the jars until he lifted one up to examine it. He shook it, seeming to check the color and consistency of the powder inside, and then put it back. I've uh, got your breakfast here, I said quietly. He gestured to the bed, and I placed it down, put the milk on the side table. It went ignored. He was intently checking each jar, some filled with powders, some with liquids, some with pastes, some with rocks. What do you got there? I asked. It's none of your business, he said. It doesn't concern you, and it's for your own good. Okay. I said. Do you need anything else right now? He took a deep breath and then looked at me. It was a look of irritation such as people who are trying to read give when being asked what they are reading and why are they reading it and is it any good and is it for school. I turned and left, leaving him to his own devices. I kept an ear out as I poked around the house, hearing him clattering away in his room doing God knows what with God knows what for God knows what reason, and kept myself to myself. Every now and then there would come some sort of muttered imprecation and once about of swearing. Then, after an hour of silence or so, he called for me. No imprecations, no calling me a pansy, just my name. I walked back, poked my head around the corner. He was holding a bottle with a silvery blue powder inside and trying to slide in a very small spoon. His hands were shaking and there was a quantity of powder already spilled on the table. His breakfast was untouched. I need your hands, he said. Damn old age is keeping me from being accurate. Yeah, no problem, I said. I gently took the bottle and the spoon and slowly scooped out a little bit. Level it on the spoon, he said very carefully. I leveled it on the spoon. Still too much, he said. Level it. It was level, but I didn't feel like arguing, so I leveled it again. Maybe a couple of grains of powder came off, but not much more. Better, he muttered. Pour it in that bowl, if you please. I looked at the bowl on the table. It contained a quantity of liquid that was a color. It was definitely a color, though I'm not sure I could quite describe what color it was. It was blue, but it was also yellow, but, and this is the important part, it was not green. It was like blue-yellow, or maybe yellow-blue. I read once that when you look at the color blue, the blue receptors in your eyes come on and the yellow ones turn off, and vice versa for the color yellow. This was like all of them on and going at the same time, and it was weird. I waited around in case he needed me to do something else, but he ignored me after that. A few minutes passed in silence while he measured, adjusted, then poured a great quantity of what looked like ordinary sand into the liquid, filled up the bowl, and then set it aside. He looked at it, took and let out a deep breath, and ran his hands through his hair. "'You okay?' I asked. He started a little bit and looked at me. "'How long have you been standing there?' "'Since you asked me to help with the silvery blue stuff,' I said. "'I never,' he said back. "'I've been concocting the repellent since I was fifteen years old. I could do it in my sleep. Don't need anyone's help.' "'Uh, my mistake then. Sorry. Damn straight, Calmers. You know I've always been more experienced than you.' Okay, so we slipped back to the past now. Yeah, I know, Brandings, you've always been the best. About time you admitted it. A moment of silence, and then I decided to see if I could probe for more information. Have you seen the old boy lately? I asked. 
Only in my dreams, same as you. It's getting closer each night. He'll be here soon. Anything you want me to do to help? Nah, nothing to do now that we've got the repellent made up. Just need to wait for Lorena to get here and then maybe we can summon him. Remember the last time? He was surprised we did it. Made it easy that time. When is Lorena supposed to get here? Ah, who knows? That girl's always running late. Dad used to tell me she'd be late to her own funeral. If she doesn't get here, we'll take care of it on our own, just like we have to do sometimes. And what happens if she doesn't get here on time? Well, we deal with the old boy the same way we always have. I made up the powder and we'll use it on him just like we always do. Anything you need me to do? Just do what you always do and we'll be fine. Well, that wasn't helpful. I had no idea what that was. But play along, I guess. You got it. I'm all over it. I waited a few more minutes, but he didn't say anything. He was just paying attention to his powders and tinctures and mixing together his concoction. After a few more minutes, I left the room and went to go watch some Netflix. The day passed and my uncle went to bed. I stayed up another hour or so and then went to bed myself. I had just started to dream when something crashed out in the hallway. My eyes jerked open and I sucked in a reflexive breath. I listened, heard some steps outside, and went to the door. Looking out, my uncle was slowly making his way down the hallway one careful step at a time, backing away from his door. I looked, didn't see anything. He was holding a long metal tube in his hands with some sort of string or cord or wire, or my mind fought back against this notion because it was so weird and old-fashioned I wasn't sure it could possibly be the truth, fuse coming out the back. His other hand was wrapped around a Zippo lighter, and he was flicking it, trying to get the flame going to light the fuse, but it wouldn't catch. I stepped out, put a hand on his shoulder. He didn't react. Is everything okay? I asked. No, he's coming. He'll be here any second. I can't get this damn fuse lit. Uh, who, who's coming? Is it the hounds? I asked, trying to play along the way I did earlier. No, worse. It's him, he said. The old boy? Yep. It's going to come through that door any second. I need this damn fuse lit so I can send him back to where he came from, but the damn lighter won't fucking light. That was when the scream echoed through the house. It reverberated through the walls, seeming to come from above, below, in front, behind, and from each side of us, everywhere at once. I instinctively ducked, crouching down, but my uncle didn't move. He stood tall and proud, trying to flick the lighter into life. I looked toward the black maw of the bedroom door and thought I saw something moving, a shadow against shadows moving slowly and coming closer. Whick, 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 went the lighter, with no flame and only the spark from the flint popping out. I looked down at it, looked up at him, then at the bedroom door. It was bigger than it had been. I blinked my eyes, shook my head. No, the door was there, and it was bigger than any of the other doors in the hallway. It had grown taller, wider, and... Oh, dear God. Something was coming through it. Thinking back on it now, from my place of relative safety, though, as you'll see, that's a bit of a joke in and of itself, I've often wondered how, when I got to this part of the narrative, I would describe it. I can see it clearly in my mind's eye. I can pick out every detail, see each fold and wrinkle and color. I, I can see the contour and shape. I can see the lines and curves. But I can't put it into words. It defies words. It, 
It was a thing not of our universe that couldn't be described by any words devised by any human that had ever existed in the whole of the vast and infinite cosmos. The sight, as indescribable as I found it to be, is burned into my brain. The night I first saw the old boy. But, much to my chagrin, not the last. A string of cursing to my left broke the spell. My uncle was still trying to get the lighter lit. A glance back at the doorway and the shadow had become more solid. It was tall, the arms were long, longer than they should be, and the fingers seemed to stretch almost to the floor. What do we do? I asked. You don't do anything. He looked up at the thing and pointed at it, then said something in a language I didn't recognize. The thing in the doorway seemed to hesitate, its pace slowing as it came. I grabbed my uncle's arm and tried to pull him down the hallway. He fought against me, trying only to get the lighter lit. Come on, I said, we gotta get out of here. No, he said, if we leave him, he won't go back. I'm the only one who can stop him, and if I don't, the whole world suffers. Okay, fine, I said, desperate to draw him away any way I could. Then let's fall back and regroup, buy ourselves some time. He looked down at the lighter and then up at me. He seemed to weigh things for a second, and then turned and let me lead him out of the hallway toward the front of the house. We got to the kitchen where I had sat drinking coffee less than three days before, and my uncle was breathing hard. He won't stop, he said, taking deep breaths. The old boy keeps coming till you either send him back or... He didn't finish the rest of it. I could imagine the rest. Maybe. A lot of different ways that sentence could end, none of them particularly good. If I could just get this damned thing... I went over to him, held out my hand. He looked at me, at the lighter, and handed it to me. Back in the hallway, the slow tread of the old boy was coming closer. I looked at the ancient Zippo. It was tarnished, but it still had the distinctive click, and the flint and steel still spun well. The wick was about as black as the limitless depths of outer space, though. I tried to reach in and grab it, but the metal aperture was too small for my fingers to get to. I looked around the kitchen for needle-nose pliers, scissors, anything I could use to get a grasp and pull it forward. There was another bone-shaking scream of damnation that echoed all around us, and we both turned and looked toward the entry to the kitchen. The doorway was starting to expand. The old boy was almost here. I pulled open one drawer, then another. Nothing, nothing, nothing. Behind me, my uncle had started chanting again, holding his hand up, trying to slow the creature through whatever power he possessed. The thing did slow, but it was still coming. It wasn't stopped. Next drawer... Only two more. Nothing. Second to last drawer. Nothing. This one. This last drawer. It would have what I was looking for. Last second escape. I opened the last drawer. Empty. Empty? Who keeps an empty drawer in the kitchen? My uncle's voice rose, chanting louder, pushing back harder. I looked back. The old boy was only a few feet away from him. I slammed my hand down on the counter, hitting something hard and circular. It clattered against the tile and little white cubes went flying. It took a second for me to process that it was the sugar bowl. The sugar bowl. With the little, dainty grabbies for the sugar cubes. When I turned back, the old boy was reaching out for my uncle. I don't know if he was aware of it or not. His eyes were squeezed shut in concentration, his spotted hand outstretched, shaking only the smallest amount as he chanted whatever weird language it was he knew that slowed the thing. I gripped the wick with the sugar grabbies, pulled. It slid out, the exposed area freshly white and gleaming with lighter fluid. 
I stepped up beside my uncle, closer to the old boy than I ever wanted to be, and grabbed his other hand. The chanting stopped as he looked at me in surprise. I lifted his hand, which held the tube of whatever sort of concoction he had mixed up, flicked the zippo, which immediately and obediently sprang to life and lit the fuse. It caught immediately and burned down into the tube. I pointed it at the old boy, who had sprung into faster motion than I had seen from him before, gripping my uncle around the neck. He started to lift the old man, his eyes blazing, green flames against the shadow of its skin, and then the tube ignited. There was a deafening roar and the concoction shot out at point-blank range, taking the thing in the face and neck. The scream that sounded from it was unlike anything I have heard before or since. It was a multitude of voices, some high, some low, some men, some women, some adults, some children. It blew apart my brain and my soul and my spirit and left me a quivering mass of boneless jelly. The house blew apart, the street blew apart, the planet exploded, the sun went supernova, the resulting black hole sucked in the entire galaxy, and then the universe crashed in on me all at once. The scream ripped me apart, and covering my ears wouldn't have done any good because it was inside me. It was part of me. It was me. Forever and ever, world without end. Amen. And then it was over. The old boy was gone. The house was silent, everything the same. My uncle looked at me, blood flowing in a thin stream out of his nose and ears and eyes. He blinked once, opened his mouth to say something, and then collapsed to the ground. I dropped to one knee as he fell, trying to catch him, failing miserably. He hit the ground with a flump, and then I slid an arm beneath his head, held him gently. Are, are, are you okay? I asked. A second of silent mouth movements. Old boy is gone. His eyes darted around sightlessly. I don't think he could see me or the house. Yeah, I said, I think so. He, he's not here anymore. So much to tell you. So little time. No, we're good. I, I've got 911 on the way. Just stay awake. We'll get you all patched up. Yes, kids, it's true. A little lie to ease a dying person never hurt anyone. Sound of his breath as he drew it in didn't sound good. <sighs> Have to kill me. What? No, you're fine. You're going to live ten more years. A bitter bark of a dying laugh. <laughs> God, hope not. <laughs> ten more years of that? <laughs> no. You have to do it. I'm sorry. If he kills me, it's it's all over. I I've never never done anything like that. I don't think I can. You're the brandings. Knew it from the moment I saw you. Lorena broke the oath. I had a kid. Even though we swore, you're a Brandings. You can do it. You have to do it. How? Pillow. Right across the face. Hold it down tight. I'm old. Dying already. Won't take long. This was all insane. 
The last week had been an absolute insane trip of a time in a world already three quarters of the way into hell. My mother dying, her revelation about her life that she hid from me, an uncle I hadn't even known existed, living his life fighting against some shadowy monster that wanted to kill him, and here I am, up until this point just a normal dude who is now seriously considering smothering the uncle he hadn't known about until a week ago. I went and got a pillow. Something, some instinctual feeling, some sort of drive, told me it was the right thing to do. Taking a hold of the pillow felt correct. Each step toward accomplishing the goal felt right, felt powerful. Looking back from where I am now writing this, that should have scared me. It should scare me now, but it doesn't. I'm a Brandings, and this is our life, apparently. I knelt down next to the old man. He was still breathing, but barely. I held the pillow close to him. Are you ready? I asked, feeling it was a stupid question. Yes. It was barely a word, barely audible, just a whisper of a whisper. But I heard it loud and clear. For the best. The world will be safe. But you... His mouth moved, but no sound came out. Then for the last time his eyes opened and he looked directly at me. I'm sorry, he said. So am I, I replied, and accomplished the goal. I called the cops using star 67 to block my number and reported the body. Didn't say anything else. Didn't give my name, didn't give my address or number. Just told them there was a body and where it could be found. I took his box of weird supplies in the metal tube, moving on instinct, or perhaps subconscious deduction of what was going to happen. I don't know what happened after that. Nothing was ever reported in the paper, and I didn't look into it to see what had happened. I suppose that nurse had to answer a few questions. If she did, I was glad she never took the time to learn my name. No one ever came to ask me about it. That was seven years ago. So much more makes sense to me now. My mother's insistence she not know about the side of her life she had kept hidden. The oath she had broken to never have children, to end the Brandings line, apparently, which, from what I've been able to piece together, might be the only way to permanently stop the old boy. <sighs> no idea what he is, or where he came from, or why he comes after members of our family. I've been able to put together a little bit, but nowhere near enough. There is something in us that he wants, and if he gets it, he will be unstoppable. If we die through natural causes, whatever it is he wants passes beyond it, and if he kills one, he gets that whatever it is. And I'm the last of the Brandings. Apparently, my sister doesn't count. It only moves through male descendants, and as a result of whatever was done back in the depths of time, there has always been a male descendant. It's passed to me. Killing my uncle passed, whatever it is, to me. That's why he apologized. That's why my mother tried to keep me out of it. I have my uncle's box of powders and stones and liquids, there's a recipe hidden away in one of the pockets that details exactly how to make the concoction that drives the old boy away. 
I've had to use it a few times. The first time it was a close thing. The only reason I succeeded that night was because the dreams give me warning. I don't dream about the old boy unless he's about to appear to claim what he wants from me. That gives me just enough time to put together the concoction that drives him back. That first time it almost didn't. I had written it off as PTSD. Only a lucky glance of the box reminded me that my uncle had talked about the dreams being a warning. I found the recipe, mixed it up, started my new life. Now, being in my early 30s, I have my whole damn life ahead of me. A life of mixing powders, dreaming dreams, and fighting back. If I die of old age, the world is safe. If the old boy gets me, well, I won't be around to worry about that, I guess. And that is the end of the story. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoy the show and want to help support it, please feel free to become a supporter on Patreon. Patreon.com slash The Weird Tales Podcast. All the money goes back into the show and is used to pay for things like hosting fees, guest readers, and the supply of Bonnot potatoes I procure for my wife on a daily basis. Melissa Boudreau, Amber Vale, and Steve Meyer, thank you so much for your support. I really appreciate it. That'll about do it for now. Please, please, please go and get vaccinated if you haven't already, and I'm talking about everything. If you can get vaccinated for whatever, do it. Polio, polio, which was eradicated, is back in New York because stupid assholes won't get vaccinated, so get fucking vaccinated. Measles, mumps, rubella, typhus, hep B, COVID, smallpox, monkeypox, chickenpox, any other kind of pox, and flu. Get it all. Inject it all into your body and protect yourself and the rest of society. Monkeypox was just this week declared a world health emergency, so look into getting a vaccine for it. COVID isn't over, and to have to deal with two global pandemics is completely unnecessary. Dealing with one wasn't necessary, but stupid people who don't believe in science listen to stupid people who don't believe in science, and here we are. COVID isn't over. You want to know how I know? Because for a year now, every two or three months, the now that COVID is over declaration has been going out and the infection and death rates still surge. Anyone who says COVID is over, punch them in their damn mouth. Wear a mask. Don't be a jerk about it. Just do it. If you happen to see a conservative Supreme Court justice just, you know, out and about, or maybe a senator from the grand old state of Texas or Missouri or Kentucky, peacefully exercise your constitutionally protected First Amendment right to gather peacefully and petition the government for a redress of grievances, because fuck those fascist dickweeds. Challenge Josh Hawley to a foot race if you see him. He'd love that. And always remember that the most important words a person can say are, I will do better. And the most important step a person can take is always the next one. Thanks for listening, and have a great week.